Welcome back to Last Man Standing. This will be episode 9 for us, and today I have a very, very important, very special guest for me, personally. My beautiful, loving, and talented, amazing sister. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. My name is Brandy Butler. Um, I'm originally from Reading, and I currently reside in Zurich, Switzerland. I'm a musician and an artist an activist, and I basically do work on the line where art, politics, and activism meet. We're going to talk about almost none of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll, we'll get yeah. a little bit of it. But in, in the same realm, everything does kind of meet up, ultimately, because we have decided that, um, based off of episode eight, it was five guys in a room... It was supposed to be talk conversations in the realm of relationships and communication in relationships and what a loving relationship means and what it means to have a compatible partner. But it was also five guys in a basement. So eventually the conversation came to sex and then things just kind of went all over the place and got a little crazy. But in a very good way, um, as I like to communicate as freely and openly as possible about things because I find that very often it's difficult for people to do that. We live with stigmas. We live with a fear of being judged over what we like, what we love, what we desire. And that for me is a very difficult hurdle to jump over. I think that sex is very much like politics. It's one of those things where either you're very open to talking about it or you just completely run away from the topic, period. So we have decided that will be the basis for today's show because Brandy is very, very much like me in that way. We are very open-minded people. We are very open to conversation, and we are very blunt and honest about who we are and where we are going in life. That's the thing, too, for me as a woman. I'm about breaking the the form of the socialized norm that we have as women that... We're supposed to, uh, our desire and our sexuality is secondary. And I, I'm breaking this for myself and a lot of my my time in the last years has been about encouraging other women as well to break this mold and to explore and to, to find what pleasure actually means for them individually and also with a partner. So what hurdles do you feel like you're jumping or, or rather... What direction are you pushing things toward? Like, aside from your art and your music and the actual activism, what are some of the things that you're pushing out there into the universe for other people to see where they can start to question and talk about these things? Well, I mean, it's interesting from the first jump, you said, like, we're not going to talk about this, but the, the next body of work that I have coming out is a, an EP of songs that I made, which are very... Well, a modern scripted feminist-based text about female sexuality. And female, when I say female, I mean like people born in feminized bodies. And I just spent a lot of time thinking about how do I experience sex? What is sexuality for me? What is pleasure? How is it expressed for me individually with someone together 
And I started to investigate all of these things for myself first and look at all the options of how one can experience pleasure. And then I started to talk to friends about it and ask my friends how they experience pleasure. And I just was so surprised how many women I knew who weren't actually having pleasurable sex. Like just straightforward. They just weren't having pleasurable sex to the point that actually many women I know weren't having sex at all, were avoiding it because they felt like pleasure was not able to be found. And so from these experiences, the next body of work that I did is actually an EP about sex, basically. It's called Thirsty as Fuck. And that's <laughs> that also... my first time hearing the title. That's yeah, amazing. Thirsty as Fuck. And, uh, and that's actually one of the names of the song is Thirsty. And it's just all these different ideas of from conversations that I had about how I've experienced things like one, the first song and my favorite song is called incantation, which is about the more kind of voodoo aspects of sex, the spiritual magical space that you create with someone where like God, God and goddesses combine together. And then there's other songs, which are just about being horny, just being a woman and being horny and like ordering, ordering somebody to your house, like a pizza <laughs> now in these groups where you've actually been able to talk to people mm -hmm. is it like pulling teeth well i always include food that's when, <laughs> that was my my a comfort yeah that was like a, no i for one year basically every other sunday i organized brunches at my house or at with a, a small group of women we were actually three between the three of us we organized brunches together most of them were at my house and uh, we invited like a total of eight mm -hmm. to 10 women and we invited somebody and they could bring somebody along with. And so we came, there was food, there was alcohol. So there was already this, you know, and also just being in a space with super cool women who are doing things that are interesting. And eventually at some point in that discussion every week, mostly because of me, it kept at some point to, <laughs> to discussion about sex. And I would just be so blunt and be like, so tell me about how you're having sex or what do you like or here's what happened to me. And from there, the discussion would start. But I found myself, I was always the springboard for the beginning of the discussion. And the more that I was open, um, the more that other people felt safe to be open as well. I think that's always necessary. There has to be someone in the room that's willing to just put it on the forefront. Someone has to be the motivational speaker to urge other people to even have those conversations. Yeah, on both sides. I mean, it, I'm so open and I'll talk about everything and anything. Mm -hmm. And this is also can be really intimidating for people who are, for example, more private about their sexuality. So I think it's important in, in the environment that I created. I also wanted people to feel like even um, no matter what you're doing or how you're doing it, this is a place where you can express it. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate how self-aware you are of who you are in those situations. When we record this podcast, it's always somewhere between two and like five or six people. And we're in a basement, but I already kind of know my place. I'm the emotional guy. I'm yeah. the guy that talks about crying in movie theaters and having deep, intimate conversations with partners. Because that's often that stereotype for us is that as men, we don't have that side of us that feminine side that open side so i kind of already know my place whereas someone else is the more comedic co-host someone else is the more political co-host mm -hmm. 
I, I appreciate that you found your place in those conversations where you can just kind of stand out for other people and bring them in slowly. Because yeah. we can go hard. Yeah. <laughs> when we talk, we can go hard. I think it depends on who's there. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm always like, welcome to Sex 101, everybody. <laughs> you know, like sometimes, you know, we, we've talked about quite brash topics or, or I don't know, kinks or things like this that for some people are, are, are like a complete other language that they just don't understand. And I think that this is also okay too. You know, like I have one friend who is, uh, she's 10 years older than me. And when we're together, we can talk about everything. We can talk about our casual sex life, about being polyamorous, about uh, going to sex clubs or swinging or whatever. And that for us, it's nothing whatsoever. And we know that uh, at the same time, when there's other people who don't experience any of these things, that um, not that we're not talking about them, but maybe we just don't, tell every detail from the first jump you know mm -hmm. but i feel like it's it's also too big i don't want to censor myself because that's an important part of of breaking the social construct you know like slut being for example uh, the idea of a woman being a slut this is a social construct that a woman has sex with many people or is free in her sexuality and that this is somehow bad or or makes people uncomfortable i want that construct to be gone mm -hmm. and so i want it to be completely okay if if i have a friend who says like yeah i've had sex with three men this week i want it to be absolutely sure that she's not going to get shamed at the table that i'm sitting at and mm -hmm. if i have a friend who says i haven't had sex in 15 years i want to i want to be absolutely sure that she doesn't get shamed by anyone who's sitting at this table i want everything that is that every you know where everybody is on the spectrum i want everyone to feel good in that i think that's something that makes it difficult to have these conversations openly in groups if it's a group of all women or all men those conversations can change so quickly like i said in a group of men we sat here and we talked about a few things and a few striking conversations came up but it's very difficult for us to find a way around the conversation where no one is poking and prodding or feeling inadequate for not having being sexually intimate in yeah. so long or for being overly sexually intimate and having too many partners. That changes so quickly with men that I can't even really imagine what that's like for women where there's always so much shame in the history of a woman being sexually active. You know, like the, the term slut shaming, yeah. that term exists for a reason, but that's because we have pushed it onto women for so long. Yeah, I mean, if, uh, you know, the idea of, of a woman's sexuality being expressed only in terms of, of, of being sold to men, is it semi-positive? Like it's something that's always, prostitution is something that's always existed and we know that it's there and we call it the oldest profession, you know, and then somehow it's societally not okay but somehow it still is okay because it exists all these years no mm -hmm. matter no whatever laws that there are there's still prostitution and so there's this, this negative side that that i i feel like it just it does really depend on who you're talking to within the way that you talk about it but i feel like anytime you stand in your truth and you know for me my truth is I am a sexually active, almost 40-year-old adult, 40 year old adult who's had many partners, who enjoys sex with different people, and that's okay. And I have friends who have had hundreds of partners, friends who have had two partners. All of this, it just has to all be okay. And I feel like when you stand in this place of like, of 
true acceptance of all these things, then they can, then you actually make space for it. Mm -hmm. You know, you break the stigma. But as soon as one person comes, I remember this, uh, this older friend of mine, I remember once that we, she was telling me, yeah, she was on vacation and, and she met this guy on vacation. She just wanted to have, she wanted to have sex with somebody and she met this guy and they had, you know, great sex on her vacation. Da, 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 and she was with some other friends and her teenage daughter was there and they, they shamed her for going out and having sex with somebody. And I was so mad at this, these mutual friends, you know, I was like so mad that they, that they would shame her. And I was like, why, why on earth would you shame this woman if she wants to go have sex with somebody? Like what business is, it, what business it is, is it of yours if an adult woman wants to go and have sex? And this one friend said, yeah, but she's a mother. And I was like, and how do you think that baby got there in the first place, you know? So were they shaming her because she was involved with someone on the trip or because her daughter was there on the trip? Was I think because her daughter was there on the trip, but her daughter was her daughter was like an adult, per se. She was an adult teenager, and you know, towards her 20s. And felt like, ew, my mom has a sex life or my mom is going to have sex with somebody. You know, again, another stigma. My parents, ew, they have, you know, these are things yeah. that just all of that has to be broken. You know, adults have sex life. They can. Adult women can have sex life. Men too. But I mean, that's normal. We 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 look at adult men, especially the older they get, the more handsome and the more viral, vir um, viral they become. And, you know, still potent at 60, can still make babies. And women, as you know, they come towards 40, they get less and less attractive and less sexual and, you know, more in this motherly kind of guiding role in life. But actually, no, lots of women are... 49 and want to be on vacation want to get fucked that should be fine do you feel like that is a big part of why these stigmas kind of exist for women i mean as a majority throughout history it's always men that make these big decisions it's always men that create the politics and that create you know the standard for things i generally feel like the reason it is so difficult for men to accept women as sexual beings is because, like, as you said, it's hard for us to think about you or parents are having sex. So for me, it's like men have a difficult time seeing women as sexual beings because we have so many issues with seeing them as only being someone's mother or my mother or my daughter or my sister. We have trouble visualizing them being free in who they are because we are creating a construct around them that, you know, we have some kind of attachment to them. Not yeah. necessarily mommy issues, but in a sense, it's, it's mommy issues for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's also like this, um, uh, the, the, whole, the holy whore, you know, mm -hmm. the Madonna, this, this image of like the woman we put on the platform who's, who's birthed out the divine and like, you know, she's, she's, a, she's had a baby, but she hasn't even had sex to have this baby, mm -hmm. you know, which of course, you know, we all know is a lot <laughs> Uh, no, but I, I definitely think that also too, that as women, like your, your sexuality is related a lot to your, to your reproductive system, you know, mm -hmm. like you're sexual as long as you can reproduce and you can make, and that that's one thing is, you know, when that, when those things go, begin to come to the end of their cycle of life, that this minimizes your value in a societal mm -hmm. construct you know you, you can't reproduce then you become less attractive less sexy you know menopause is who talks about women who have menopause having sex mm -hmm. when's the last time you heard about a woman 
having with menopause having sex. This is actually why I love these movies from the from the nineties with like Goldie Hawn and Diane Keaton and stuff. You know, and the what was this? Um, the First Wives Club and also the the movie they did with um, what's his name? The about the devil. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like the same Bette Midler and Death Becomes. No, no, no. Oh wait, maybe. But anyways, it's like, anyways, it's just women who are like in their late 40s having sex, Mm -hmm. having, you know, and very, very uh, lustful, desiring sex. I like that these women created this. They created that for themselves. That didn't exist before. But even then, to me, it kind of always has to masquerade itself as a comedy. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, of course, it's also centered around man's desire. And that's the only way that they can push it off kind of getting their message across, kind of being open about who they are, but they have to masquerade it as a comedy so that it's, like, socially acceptable. Yeah. Which I find very difficult. Because, again, as a man, any of those situations would be totally acceptable. We would be applauded. If I took my 18-year-old son on vacation with me and I snuck off somewhere to have sex with someone that I just met, I would get a high-five from every guy that I went on that trip with. They would pat my son on the back and tell me how, tell him how cool his dad is. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I mean, definitely. I had the, I know from experience that men definitely get put on the pedestal. Like there, there's there's lots of space in society for men's desire, men's sexual adventures, men being sexual beings. Mm-hmm. Plenty of space. I mean, just reducing it down to the fact of masturbation alone. Like, men's masturbation is integrated completely within society. We see it in movies, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, like, this, uh, of course, this first scene that comes to mind is, like, American Pie, how this is just a huge part of, it's 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 pop culture, almost, male's masturbation. Mm-hmm. And female masturbation is, like, a m- myth. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about it, and it doesn't exist. And you wouldn't believe how many women I know don't eat, who didn't don't masturbate didn't masturbate until they were grown adults you know because there was just no permission for them there anywhere or no role models for them to see like oh okay f- this is a thing and i'm allowed to do it mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure lots of people did it because they found it on their own but if you grew up in any kind of context where like touching your body as a woman was forbidden i imagine that it would have been difficult to come to that place no i, I remember reading stories about women who were you know, beaten or scolded because they were found yeah. masturbating and it was, they were brought down on. Yeah. And so badly that even into adulthood, they couldn't bring themselves to do it or get comfortable doing it just because there was this kind of fear in the back of their minds that they were being judged still by people. Yeah. I can think of no popular culture reference of a woman masturbating in my head. I can only think of one instance, but again, it's from that same film. And it again is being used as more of a punchline than her just being sexually active. Yeah. American pie, the the conversation about band camp and a flute. Yeah. It's brought in as a punchline. It's made to look comical instead of actually her just accepting her own sexuality and experimenting. Yeah. Whereas, He's experimenting in one of the most ridiculous ways we've ever seen on television. But it's normalized throughout the entire film. Him and five other guys continue to normalize it and normalize all of their 
sexual practices throughout the film, and it's normalized. I mean, even just something, again, just because it's pop culture and it's easily referenceable, he's masturbating with an apple pie because it's warm and it's supposed to feel good. Someone else later in the movie uh, is masturbating into a sock, and it's normalized because that's something all guys apparently do. Another one of his friends is a younger man who develops a sexual desire for his friend's mother. So it's the whole cougar cub chasing thing. Totally normalized. None of those things are made into a punchline. I don't remember point. all this. Because, just... again, as a young man growing up into those situations, it normalized it for me. Anything that I was doing as a young teenager, I could see on TV. I yeah. could read in a book. It was made okay for me to experiment and try things and eventually be open enough to talk about things. Interesting, because for me, like, I, I registered that that information was not exactly for me. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember the big detail being like, men's masturbation is is uh, at the forefront here. It's okay. I remember the story about the flute. I remember that. But I also remember it being a punchline. And now it just comes to my mind the the opposite side of of like where a situation where female masturbation was shown and that it was okay would be the color purple mm-hmm. and this relationship. But in the movie, it's more in the book. In the movie, it's, yeah, played, in the- in, it's played down a little bit, but there's definitely this kind of, mm, this relationship where like, um, Shug teaches Seely, you know, to look in the mirror and look at her vagina and look at her body and touch herself. And, and I'm sure that, that I did not register that as masturbation as a kid. I just thought, uh... They like each other. Mm-hmm. Because it was made, I don't want to say simple, but it was... It was It was a simplification the, uh, yeah. of a complex topic. The, the art of storytelling made readable. Yeah. But again, for me, there was nothing that I have ever done in my life that I have not been able to look back at someone else or some movie or some book and reference it where it was made to seem normal for me. Interesting. And the fact that that is always pushed to the forefront for young men, that's why we're in so much trouble now. Because we think anything and everything that we do is okay when it comes to sexuality and our sexuality. Hashtag for the most part. truth. There we go. I feel like that's definitely one of the problems that there is. It's, just, it's accessibility. Yeah. If you don't teach your children, if they don't read these things, if they're not having these conversations as young adults... What are they left to do other than discover their own devices or be too afraid to discover anything? Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like anyways, as somebody, I'm also, I'm also fat. I call myself fat. I'm okay with it. I'm consider myself like a body positive person. And also in my activism, there's a component related to, to body positivity. And I feel like just alone in that, like seeing, seeing bodies that look like mine be intimate this is just something that's kind of happening now in, mm-hmm. in inside a construct, but for sure didn't exist 20 years ago that fat people had. Fat people didn't have sex. You weren't sexy. You didn't have sex and you weren't sexy. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like I have a lot of frames of reference outside of the own my own personal experiences that I've made and the very painful, long process of of experimenting and like being brave enough to be like do i like that mm-hmm. wait stop i don't like this what do i like can we try something else let me read about it on the internet you know just looking for for 
ways to connect with pleasure that feels good with my body type and my own sexuality as identifying as queer, you know, all of, all of those things have come from, yeah, experimentation, which is not, it has not been an easy path. It definitely is not an easy path. How can it be? You're pushed into a corner where you are now forced to try things on your own that no one has ever talked to you about, that you have never seen on television, never read in any books. And for the most part, we grow up thinking that these things don't exist or that they're not okay. I always think of like the funny joke that, you know, as children, we see teachers in school and that's all we ever think of them as. If you're out in public and you see your teacher at a grocery store, it amazes you because in your head, they never leave the school. They're teachers. That's all that they do. Yeah. (laughs) So as kids trying to understand our own sexuality, if we have no references, then that's it. We are left to our own devices. And most of the time, we will do nothing about it. I mean, I look at, you know, it's interesting that you use this idea of coming back to kids because for me, sex is play. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an activity that is must be approached in a playful way. Otherwise, um, for me, it's... Always give it like four seconds to carry All right, we are back. Uh, There are some things that I think I would like to just clarify with the situation. Uh, Again, this is Isaac. I'm 35 years old, openly bisexual. I have had my fair share of experiences with men and women and couples. And it's still difficult to have these conversations with certain people. You have to find the right group, the right kind of open-mindedness to be around, to have these conversations, for them to be serious and open, and for people to be comfortable enough to share their stories as well. Brandy. Yes. Being who you are and how you are and how you live, why do you feel like Or I shouldn't say, why do you feel like? Why is it so hard for people to just stand up and live in their own truth? Like, as a conversation that we had earlier, there are websites that people can go on. And if they decide they want to try being a swinger, they can try being a swinger. If they are into kinks, they can find websites where other people are into kinks. If they want to do anything under the sun, you can find it. If you're truly looking for it. But we are so inclined as people to hide those things. We will only do those things in the safety and security sometimes of our own home behind a computer. If we want to have kinky conversations with people, it's easy for us as human beings to have those conversations online. But it's difficult for us to admit that we enjoy having these conversations in everyday conversations. We're afraid of what, you know, Joe that sits in the cubicle across from us at work will think of us if he knew this about us. We're afraid of what family members would think if they found out that we do certain things. Why is that? Even though, very clearly, it resides within all of us. Everyone, well, just about everyone, is sexually active at some point in life. 
why do we still act like sex is a taboo that is this big secret that we have to hide from people? I would say that Catholicism has a lot, had a lot of influence on that, that, that um, uh, sexuality in earlier cultures existed in a much more open way. Like, we're so lucky now, this time that we're currently in, because we have much more access to information. Like, you remember when, when you were a kid and, like, the first thoughts of gay and gay culture and that, you know, the way that it was presented to us is that, like, being gay is something new that there wasn't or like it's a was a really rare thing yeah. now we know now we know because there's so many gay people and so many bisexual. i mean gay is such a small word to even encompass what's happening now i mean this this the spectrum of sexuality is just busting open mm-hmm. and now and now we know that there's way more options and way more possibilities but that you know for a long time it was presented to us like there are just these two constructs. There's a man and a woman, and this is correct, and that they have sex, and the sex that they should have is mostly proc- uh, procreational, and occasionally, uh, for the men, it can be pleasurable. Men are allowed to have affairs. They shouldn't really, but they can. It's kind of accepted, and women should not. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have lots of historical references to these situations where, like, you know, the scarlet, scarlet letter, like the woman who decides to have sex and she gets crucified by the village and you know these are for me all very uh con- religious con- contracts that that came around how religion influenced our idea of sex mm-hmm. and before that happened for christianity and things like this there was a much more open sexual culture you know we know this now we know that for example in ancient greece that there was a large large gay cultures but it even integrated in society was the role of the older man with the younger man you know the younger man serving the older man and the older man teaching him pleasure like it was almost a it was a rite of passage to learn how to give pleasure and receive pleasure from an older man mm-hmm. you know and so i feel like we have a really puritanically influenced way of thinking and it's changing for sure it's changing I guess because people are braver, you know, like we start to realize how much of it is bullshit, how much of, you know, this idea that sex should just be A plus B equals C is real bullshit. Mm -hmm. But I mean, on the other side, there's also fear. There's genuine fear. And I get it because I feel like as somebody who's into kink, I mean, I'm definitely into into kink. I'm into BDSM. And I remember when I was at the, the beginning of this idea of like, I think I would like to dominate a man. But I didn't really know what that meant and I had never done it and I didn't know how to how how do you do that? You know, it's not like you can you okay, where I live, you can go to classes. <laughs> you can definitely go to classes. I go to classes where like an older dom, an elder femme dom, she teaches you like what to do, how to do it, and you can practice in a group and stuff. But, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't any kind of construct for this whatsoever, or like any kind of role model or anything I could grasp onto that was like, you know, if I'm into this, how do I do it with somebody for the first time? You know, and, and again, even that is con- controlled by by porn images of like, you know, you're beating somebody, you're hanging them from nails, you know, mm-hmm. just these very extreme things. I, I, I feel like in some ways 
it's the gift. It's the gift of the internet. It's the gift of the internet because what we found with the internet is how we're not as alone as we think we are. Mm-hmm. You know, you were that one person who was into wearing an animal costume while having sex, or like got got off on wearing an animal costume, and now that now that's a fucking thing. It's not only a thing; it's a huge culture of people who feel emboldened just by knowing that there are other people who enjoy this. Mm-hmm. You know that I guess strength in numbers. I like that. I like coining that phrase in the realm of sexuality, that there are strength in numbers, because I think that is one of the most prominent ways of, of combating any of these stigmas, is the idea that there are numerous, numerous people out there that enjoy exactly what you enjoy. It doesn't even matter what it is. There could be 20 people in this room right now who all enjoy different things. Guarantee you there are thousands and thousands more who enjoy those same exact things. It's one, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if you know the, the podcast, um, Savage Lovecast. Do you know this one? No. It's um, Dan Savage, who had this column, like syndicated column for a long time. It used to be in the in the Philly, what wasn't it, the newspaper that they had in Philly. That's the first time. Weekly? Yeah, that was yeah. the first time I read it. It was syndicated there. He's from, I think, from Seattle or from Washington. And uh, it's he basically had, like, first this column and now a podcast where you can call and just ask anything about sex. Mm-hmm. And has created a whole language around, around uh, um, sexual experiences that are have become pop culture. Like he's actually the person who who created the who coined the term Santorum, mm-hmm. you know, for example. But anyways, what he always says, especially in terms of bisexual people, is stop hiding that you're bisexual. You know, gay is very transparent, straight is very transparent, but like stop. Bisexual people need to come out more because at the moment it's super taboo it's mm-hmm. almost at this weird place where it's more taboo to be in between because people feel like uh wishy-washy you know mm-hmm. like people who are bisexual need to come out and i think it's the same thing in everything you know whatever your kink is if you're into wearing a diaper if you're into having anal sex if you're into kissing women whatever it is that turns you on talk about it because it makes it less taboo mm-hmm. it's only taboo if nobody's talking about it i'm only going to throw this story in because you made me think of it but being a young man, my first experiences with sex and anything even close to sexual education was, you know, finding a porno underneath my cousin's mattress. And then it was finding my uncle's videos that he kept in his bottom drawer underneath some shirts. And then it was, you know, pay-per-view the blurry scene on the television where if you didn't have that channel, you could still kind of sort of see things. The first time that I ever realized that sex in and of itself did not have to be so secretive was actually going to Philadelphia mm-hmm. and picking up a Philadelphia weekly and getting to the back couple of pages where there were, you know, advice columns and sex ads and hotlines to call and talk to people. And it was honestly, I think it was the first time I ever saw an ad for a, an escort. And then it was a male escort a female escort, a transgender escort. And that, for me, kind of expanded the idea that these things happen in public, in big cities. So guess what? It probably happens in my teeny tiny little city where no one talks about it just because we don't have this newspaper. Mm-hmm. That was my idea. coming. I mean, this was, I was probably 15 or 16. <coughs> but again, the idea that it's strength in numbers because if someone out there is brave enough and strong enough to put themselves out there as that open book, 
someone else is going to pick that book up and see it and take a sigh of relief that it's not just them. I mean, I've had the, I've had the, the luck and the pleasure to engage with lots of different communities that revolve around different forms of sexuality, whether it be kink or tantra or, um, yeah, just many different things. And I, and it's always been to me, I've been so thankful in all of these situations that there are these almost visionary people like at at the the base of these communities are some people who felt like they have some knowledge or they have some some something the the capacity the space the desire to connect mm-hmm. that they want to share with other people and they built a community and like any other community whether it be around comics or i don't know whatever you're interested in but you know for example, for me, the, the, there's, a, there's a, a school, and it exists also in some places in, in, in the U.S. It's called Sexological Bodywork Institute. And they give classes and all kinds of classes on sexuality. You know, like classes for women about female pleasure, classes for men about female pleasure, classes for men about anal massage, classes for men about masturbation you know just everything there's classes like there's also classes for men and women together about tantra or tantra massage or sensuality or the art of erotic or just there's so many possible avenues that one could explore and they've made space a safe space for people to mm-hmm. try I mean that's why I keep on coming back to this thing you know sex is play this is just, it's just playing it's experimentation it's it's vulnerability to try something new and put yourself out there in a way it could fail I mean I've had some really unsexy sex where like in the end we just ended up laughing because we mm-hmm. tried something and it just <laughs> was not gonna work you know it, it sounded like a really good idea and then you get into it and you're like this is not gonna work sex in this bathroom in a train. Mm. Sounded really hot, not hot, you know. <laughs> but those are some of my, like, I, I want to say fondest memories of being so comfortable with someone that you could make an attempt at something, be yeah. open about the conversation of wanting to try something. Even if it's a complete and utter failure, to me, it's still a triumph because totally. you could be with someone and be open and be who you are and talk about what you wanted to even just try. Even if it didn't work very well, it's a step up because even if it didn't work, you were still able to talk about it. I'm a talker. I know that people aren't, there's a lot of people who aren't talkers. And I've Mm -hmm. also been in contact with people who, who where I've been a talker and they're not. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's 90% of my life. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, are you okay? Everything okay? And they're like, shh. And I'm like, no, this is this is me getting information. Like, I won't know what's going on. Like, I'm just somebody. This is also how I have. It's how, how I engage in relationships. Like, I need you to tell me what you want and what you need. Oh, she's just kick her out. <laughs> <laughs> she wants attention. Mm-hmm. No, I I'm just I need someone to tell me what they want and what they need, and then I can try and fulfill it. But I'm not a guesser. I'm not a guesser. And so I don't want to play the role of like magic magician. And I know that it feels really nice when you feel like someone just guessed what you wanted and they guessed right. But I, this, this is for me like the most agonizing experience, whether it be 
uh, in a relationship or sex is to try and just guess what somebody wants from just tell me what you want just tell me how you like it and then i'm going to do that to the best of my ability the idea that we have to be mind readers drives me insane and when i'm the person that is just openly honestly asking what this means to you or what you need or what you want when you I hate to say refuse, but when you refuse to give me an answer, I think that drives me even more insane because that just tells me that either you don't feel comfortable enough to tell me these things or that you have not yourself given any thought to these things. Don't so you how am I supposed to please that. you if you don't even know how you need to be pleased? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's probably more that number two than it is number one. I feel like just a lot of a lot of women... A lot of women have not taken the time with their bodies and don't know how to please themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like... To really know yourself, to know your vagina, to know what you like, to know what the possibilities are. It's really endless. I mean, I just... I recently bought a new vibrator because I had sex with someone and they had this vibrator. And in the moment, I was like, ah, it was one of those Hitachi magic wands, which Mm -hmm. is like... In the sex, this is very popular. And I never could get really down with it because I thought, oh, it's it's too powerful for me. But I was like, all right, I'm just going to take some time again with this vibrator and find out how I like to use it for me. Mm -hmm. And then I'll know next time when I'm with someone how to instruct them how to use it, you know. And then it just changed the game completely because... You know, like, for example, the, the, the first time I used it with someone, he put it right on, on clitoris. And I was like, wow, it was too much, too much, too much. And once I figured it out for myself, I could totally lead them through this, the experience and having sex. And it was great, you know, but that took me like, I don't know, 10 masturbation sessions to figure out what felt right and how I could use it to my advantage for just that one very specific vibrator, you know, and like that's also a vibrator and not even me spending time with my hand and my body mm-hmm. you know like it's, it's definitely it's a maybe you have to look at it like this maybe it, sh- it should be sold to women like this you know it's a commitment it's a sexual commitment first to you with your own body you know you should i almost want to say like you shouldn't be able to even have sex with somebody until you've masturbated first until you've like i don't know spent 50 hours masturbating <laughs> You shouldn't be able to engage with a person sexually until you really know how to make yourself come first. Because how will you ever instruct somebody else? Mm-hmm. How will you ever hope that somebody else will get you there if you can't get yourself there? And then step two becomes trying to figure out how to properly communicate it to the other person. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I mean, if I could... if I could, Let's let's talk about like an optimal situation. If I was going to as a woman and I'm going to have sex with a man, what would be an optimal optimal situation from how 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 I would imagine the best way it could go, which would be like I would be already comfortable with myself. I'd feel good about my body. I feel good where I'm at for the day. That would be the first positive thing. Mm-hmm. It's also okay if you wouldn't have that situation too, but then number 2 would be like I would engage with someone and that constantly that person would ask me, do you like this? Does this feel good for you? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Slower, slower, faster. Okay. Like just, I feel like even just this, does this feel good for you? Yes or no? 
and also requiring someone to give you an answer. Like if someone would say like, um, does this feel good? And someone could be like, mm-hmm. I feel like asking someone to say yes or no is already like in forcing them to engage on a different level. Like give me a po- a positive or a negative answer. Mm-hmm. And that is also, yeah, it also would also encourage someone to feel like, okay, I, I'm being asked for something definitive and therefore I can also give a definitive response instead of like, yeah, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think not only in the process of like checking in with me the whole time, making sure my pleasure, my, my most favorite situations where I engage with people where I feel like sex is the most beautiful is where I feel like someone's pleasure derives out of giving me pleasure, you know, where you can really feel like this person just loves to make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's so easy for me to let go. It's so easy for me to let go. I know this from my own experience with women that I think of like, I th- <laughs> when, when I first got into Tantra, you know, I went to this workshop and the guy who was leading the workshop, he was like, in Tantra they call vaginas yonis. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, a yoni is like a flower. And he's like, you could spend one entire hour giving all your love into this flower and it's just not going to bloom. There's no energy. It's not going to bloom. You put your hand there. It just, nothing is happening. Or you could spend five minutes putting your energy into that flower and it blooms and eats your finger, you know? (laughs) And that for me was a really important click that like, there has to be an alignment of within the person themselves. And, And that's also even, and in that, that's also okay too. Maybe you... Maybe you have intimacy with somebody and you love it and you're giving your 100% all, but that Yoni is just telling you, not going to happen mm-hmm. today. And instead of being like, oh man, <laughs> oh man, what did I do wrong? You, just, uh, you know, there's like 1,000 streets to go on down the road of sexuality. You just go somewhere else, do something else. You know, like it doesn't have to always be the, the, the end game. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because I feel like that's also a little bit then it reverts again back to your to the ego, you know, of like, ah, oh, I didn't make her come. That's it's also okay. A lot of women don't come every time. Mm-hmm. All right. So second question, I guess. Being a tantric practitioner, do you feel like that makes things in a sexual relationship more complicated for the relationship itself to really bloom? when it comes to sexual activity. Like I've practiced Tantra for years. I practice yoga, I practice meditation. For me, sometimes the hurdles jump over is when the other person knows that you have this knowledge and you have this like emotional connection and practice, but they don't. It kind of puts up a wall for them sometimes. In, in my relationships, it's always been like, you think about this stuff, I don't think about this. You've practiced this before, I've never practiced. And it kind of puts a wall between the two of you. Have you found that to be a complicated situation in your relationships? I think I'm so flex when it comes to sex that I really try to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. And like, I would say like, it's it's one of my, one of my pleasures is to what I, is what I call is crack, cracking people. I like to crack people mm-hmm. and I like to like, 
when I say cracking, it's because I think of them like an egg and what I want is like the soft part of the inside. Mm -hmm. And so that's my end goal. I want, that's for me where the real magic happens is when you get people into their vulnerable soft side. Mm -hmm. But I also realize not everybody is there. Not not everybody's going to get there on the first shot, you know, or like today's just not the day or whatever. And sometimes, sometimes people just want to fuck. And, you know, for me, Tantra is like, it's time. Tantra is time time and energy and connection and sometimes there's just not space for that and that's okay too mm-hmm. you know sometimes it, you know i think for me like mutual masturbation just a quick quick mutual but i'm gonna masturbate and you're gonna mas- we're gonna masturbate in the same space this is a very dis disconnected connection and for me not necessarily so tantric but also completely okay you know and mm-hmm. i feel like i don't want someone to feel I want to give someone as many opportunities as they can, as they're willing to have to find me. And I want them to feel like I found them and that I see them wherever they are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have this knowledge and yeah, I've spent a lot of time having sex and thinking about sex. I, I feel like I have a, a, a large library of information, but I never... I never try to create a situation where where it feels like, well, I know better than you. I, you know, in my tantric class, we did this. Or I never want to make the situation where I feel like a, a know it all, you know, mm-hmm. or like a better knower, determined. I don't even that's not a word in English. Besserwisser. It's like, yeah, just somebody who knows better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. I just want to play, and I want to find wherever you are, and I want you to find me wherever I am. And sometimes, it goes to a higher place, and sometimes not. And I feel like they're they're both equally valid. And also, I, I think you need to have all of those things because you need to have the, you need to, how do I say this? It can't always be amazing tantric sex. It can't always, you can't always fly on the high flying disc. Mm-hmm. As Abraham Hicks says, <laughs> you know, so you need to fall off so that you, so it feels good getting back on that high flying space. So you can't always, every time you have sex can't be the most amazing, best sex of your life because. Because then nothing is ever special. Then nothing is ever special, right? You need to have sometimes some mediocre sex where like it doesn't work or, you know, it's not this high spiritual connective thing or sometimes it's just bing a bang and a boom. And then when it happens again, it's just that much more meaningful. Mm-hmm.